Welcome to another edition of USAV Bandwidth, where we talk everything from A to Z and beyond. I am joined by my new co-host, Ms. Candice Aragon, Vice President of Marketing Events for PSA. Thanks for having me. And today's guest host is Mr. Bill Bozeman, former CEO of PSA. And we're here to talk today all things M&A, if you will, on, on a higher level, but more specifically, if you're looking to begin or to start exit strategy, if you're looking to even have a thought of an exit strategy, where do you begin? What do you do? So that's what Candace, Bill, and I are here to talk about. So Bill, first question to you. A lot of our integrators within the, you know, the community here, both on the USAV side and the PSA side, are starting to reach that level of, hey, I need an exit strategy. What do I do? Where do I start? You know, Patrick, I'll, you know me, I love to tell stories. And I'll tell you one that when this goes back, I don't know, 30, 35 years ago, when I was a young guy running my systems integration company. By the way, a little bit of trivia. My first company was a pro AV company, Delta Audio Visual. The second company was a security company. So people always think I started in security. I actually started in um, pro AV and moved quickly to security and had both. Ended up selling both companies. By the way, some advice that a gentleman gave me, who I later ended up doing a lot of business was when I said to him, I'm not interested in selling my company to you. And he said, that's fine, Bill. That's fine. He said, but you know what? You should run your company like you are. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you should run your company like you are getting ready to sell it and you'll have a much better company. You know, as a young guy, I thought that was bizarre advice, but it was really, really good advice, Patrick. And so I think the first thing I would say is so many of the integrators, I'm not interested. It's a family business. It's a lifestyle business, whatever. But if you really run your company professionally, like you're trying to, I don't want to say impress, but like you're trying to make a mark where your company is valuable, valuable enough to be acquired by private equity or whatever, and could be a very big payday, then there are certain processes, there are certain procedures, there are certain ways you run your company that will make you much, much more attractive. So my advice would be start now, you know, start now, even if you don't plan on selling your company in the next few years. That's a great point. I would hop in, Patrick, maybe this was a cart before the horse. We probably should have asked this one first. Which is, Bill, since you left as the CEO of PSA, what have you been doing in the meantime? Uh, kind of help us qualify why we asked Bill on today. Well, tomorrow I'm going kayaking. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's true. I am. I'm going kayaking. The weather's nice down here in the Deep South. But no, Candace, I am still very actively involved. As a matter of fact, I'm getting my ISC West schedule squared away for the for following week. And I'm involved in the M&A space and systems integration. More security than AV right now because it's a little bit hotter market there, but that's that that's what I'm doing, working with private equity and helping integrators and working with the with the PE firms. Absolutely. I thought that was a, a good question to ask. For people who think that they might want to exit, I think that's great advice to always run your business like you're trying to sell. But when you find yourself in the position that you really are, who do you turn to? Are there usually people you help lead you through this? Or do you see in your work that a lot of integrators try to start on their own? Well, that's, yeah. First of all, let's, let's, so how long should the process take? I mentioned yeah. earlier, always run your company like that, but let's be practical. Uh, that's hard to do. It really is. So I would say, Candace, you should really begin the thinking progress four or five years ahead of time and get very serious about having a business model that is attractive to potential acquirers at the three-year period. Can you do it in a year or six months? You can, 
but you're not going to achieve maximum exit valuation if you wait to the last moment. So that's not a very good strategy. So I also would counsel Candace. I've seen this with the PSA integrators and others as well, where it seems like everyone has a brother-in-law. And, you know, it's wonderful to have smart family members and some of whom may be CPAs, some of them may be attorneys, but this is a very specialized area. So I would strongly advise that you not attempt to do this internally with your own infrastructure and your own team. I see that as a dark, as a foolish mistake. And I'd also be very cautious going to your existing counsel, who probably is not involved in MA, but may be a great attorney for you. And same thing goes with your, your CPA, you know, the fellow who does your taxes. So I would, I would go to professionals, and Candace, there's a host of professionals, many of whom attend the PSA meetings, the USAV meetings, good guys and good ladies who do this for a living. They know how the game is played, and they can assist the integrator in preparing his company for the most profitable exit he could possibly get. And it's very likely it's not your brother-in-law or someone in your office, Candace. So Bill, you talked about making your company attractive to sell. What are those qualities that make it attractive to sell? What do you need to do to internally within your business, make it more attractive? You know, the first question that comes up, I had one this morning. I had one this morning and um, it was a request, a request for a meeting in Las Vegas at ISC West next week. And I've become programmed, I guess, from dealing with the private equity guys. The, the first question we need to have is, what is your revenue? What's your revenue run rate on an annual basis? And what's your EBITDA? What is your profitability? I mean, that's if you want a very, very simplified, what's the first question I'm going to get from a potential acquirer? They're going to want to know that. They're going to want to know your diversification. They're going to want to know your percentage of attrition of your customer base, how much recurring revenue you have. But number one on the list is, hey, Patrick, how much your sales? And are you profitable? And this is why that last three to five years, you possibly have been running your company. I've seen this a lot. It's an awful lot of P&Ls from, from integrators. Someone is a lifestyle company where profitability is not necessarily your number one goal. And maybe having fun and having a boat and all these other type things are a priority. But when you start preparing, then you run it like a business that's supposed to be profitable and profitability and operational efficiency are, are, are number one. So those are the two biggies. You didn't ask this question, but I'm going to bring up something that's a thorn in the sides of, of many integrators. So we'll, we'll put that on the table now. And I hate getting these calls. When, when I was CEO of PSA, I received these calls on a regular basis, and it always made me cringe. And it's, you know, it's, normally it was a guy my age who said, well, you know, I think I might be ready to sell. And I know this company, and I know where they're located, and I know the business they do and what they bought from us. And I know I have, I've got a real good idea of what their revenue is. And it's rough, the real small companies, Patrick. The, the market is rough. And oftentimes, they're reading the trade journals or hearing stories about a, a large integrator that's sold for a super high multiple. And, and they think that maybe they fit into that category. And it, it just isn't the case. So that those are often difficult calls. But really, anything... You know, any revenue under 10 million on an annual basis, it's difficult to merit even tuck-in status. But however, there are still options there, Patrick. You could be acquired, you know, potentially by a local competitor or something like that. 
But those valuations are normally a lot less than, say, a valuation that would be funded with private equity. So there are profitability minimums and there are revenue minimums if you're looking to maximize your valuation. If you're looking to get a deal done at all, regardless of the valuation, there are profitability minimums and there are revenue minimums in order to, to gather the interest of where the big money is. Talked a lot about that PSA when you were CEO and beyond is recurring revenue. For these acquirers out there, how important is that to have recurring revenue in your mix? Well, off the charts important. Every bit is important, really. As and, and that, of course, that ties into your profitability, Candace. So, the larger the percentage of your predictable revenue, call it what you'd like. There's a bunch of different acronyms people put on it: ARR, RMR, you know, all kind of different acronyms. But if your cash flow is is predictable and contracted, and you have a historical low percentage of attrition, you're sitting on a gold mine. You're sitting on a gold mine. And you know, Candace, it, it, it kind of cracks me up because you would think if you go to a giant security meeting that, that, that the alarm industry created this whole business model, they don't think about your cell phone. They don't think about your cable service. They don't think about you know, all these other businesses that are basically recurring revenue business models. It is very, very important. And Candace, there is a lot of confusion about the valuation of recurring revenue. Once again, it's getting better, but many look at the alarm industry and say, these are the type of multiples I'm going to be able to get. And that just isn't the case. It's a different business model. Yes, you have hybrid companies that do systems integration, do some AV, you know, do some other things, but it's a different model. So the, all recurring revenue is not created equal as far as valuations are concerned. Not created equal. And really, it's it that the integrators really need to understand that so they can you know, set their strategy accordingly and focus on recurring revenue that brings the biggest exit valuation and not to recurring revenue that's at the bottom of the pit because it runs a gamut. It runs a gamut. So we looked at a company that supposedly had you know, 40% recurring revenue and, and, and took a pass. We, I'm not going to mention who that group was, but we took a pass because that recurring revenue was all relatively low margin truck rolling maintenance. Not very sexy. Not when you can have a versus a managed services product where you can do the majority of the work, the vast majority of the work online remotely. That right. has a much higher margin much higher predictability, lower attrition, right? So it's paramount for the integrators to focus on not just recurring revenue, but to understand the whole recurring revenue value prop and focus on the ones that are the most valuable. Hey, fortunately for PSA and USAV, they have some of those. That's a little plug for you, but they do. They absolutely do. So I've never bought or sold a company, but right now the housing market is, is crazy through the roof. Everyone thinks their house is worth more than it is, but you know, a lot of times the numbers don't lie when it comes to mortgages and, and the person next door that that's sold. And how does that compare to selling and, and putting your, your business up for sale? Are, are, do people expect more than the business is actually worth or do the numbers kind of speak for themselves? The numbers really speak for themselves. You know, it's an education process too, where the, the, the private equity company, let's just take a private equity deal because that's so common. If you look at the acquisitions that have been taking place with USAV, 
If you look at the acquisitions that are, that are taking place inside PSA and security, most of that is, is backed by private equity. Now, you may have a company name that you recognize, you know, whether it's one of the big giant AV roll-up companies or the big giant, same thing, but behind those companies, now I won't name any names because Candace didn't want me to do that, but behind those company names, those giant integrators, is unless they, if, if they're not publicly traded, then there's normally private equity behind them. So there's an education process that was fascinating to me to go through, and it's even more fascinating to see it now behind the curtains that's explained to the integrator. For the most part, most of them, especially the larger integrators, Patrick, have done some homework, have done some studying, and they, they've got a pretty good idea of you know what that number is, a pretty mm-hmm. good idea. The multiples now are remarkably, they're really, really strong for the right companies. Really, I've, I've, you know, I wish that I had, at the time, so personally, I did four exits, and at the time, I was at the top of the heap from a multiple perspective, but those multiples now are not nearly as good as they are now. Those multiples back then are not like they are now. I guess I should have waited. <laughs> so what you're saying is now is a, is a prime time to- the Multiples are great, man. If you, if you, they are just really, really great. And that puts, that puts pressure on the acquirers to produce, puts pressure on them to produce when, they, when they're paying these type of multiples. So the timing to have this session makes a heck of a lot of sense because so many people are, you know, aging out and, you know, considering the opportunity, you know. There's also levels that, and this happened to me personally, that integrators, both ProAV, and by the way, I bought the ProAV company, I started the security company, so different dynamics, so I got to see it from both sides. And the security company was bought by a publicly traded company, an S&P 500 company. So I really got to see some cool stuff there. But what happens to integrators is they go through levels of, they run into roadblocks or hurdles at a certain revenue point, right? And I personally ran into that 30 years ago at 10 million. And 10 million at the time was a lot. You know, that was a lot and not anymore. So when you get to now, 30 million or 40 million, you know what? You really should have a crackerjack, well-paid finance team at 40 or 50 million or 30 million. You really need to have a VP of sales who's well compensated and sharp. You really need to have a chief operating officer, right? You don't really need that at six, seven, eight million dollars, right? With that type of revenue, you've got a couple of owners who are changing hats all day long, right? They're engineering, then they're selling. Sometimes they're even going out and managing the project. And if you're 3 million, you're selling and engineering and managing the product and you're up on the ladder. So as your company gets bigger, there's hurdles. I have not seen this. Someone asked me this question last week. How big can an integrator in the U.S. get before he needs outside financing? That's a cool question. That's a really cool question. I haven't seen any go... In the security space, I haven't seen any go over 100 million. That's a big number. I mean, yeah. And you really hit a big plateau at 50 million where you're going to bring in a president. You're the owner, right? Let's just say that Candace and Patrick are co owners of ABC Integration. You guys have worked hard, you've been at it for 25 years, but you know what? You're not an MBA. 
And, you know, Candace, you're not an engineer or, or, you know what I mean? You're not a CPA. You've got to either, you've got to bring in money if you want to take it from 50 million to 70 or from 25 million to 35 or 40 million. Doing that out of your own cash flow, knowing how the levels of profitability of an integration company are just really, really hard. Can you do it? Yeah, you can. Boy, it's hard. It's a grind. It's a grind. So this is why you see, Patrick, so many companies exiting. And then that money is pumped into the company. You have the the infrastructure is drastically improved. The opportunity to grow is drastically improved. And in many cases, you still have ownership in that company. And if it's flipped again, it's called the second bite of the apple. If it flips again, you have two pops, right? The initial and then the second. I'm going to ask about that. Do you see more people now that are just fully getting out? Or is it kind of a mix of that and then the people who just do need more outside funding and resources? There's both, Candice. But I see more where the owners have that that financial burden off their back, right? And they actually stay in for a piece. I'll tell you what, I just did it, not in the security business, not in the, I just did it in the digital medicine business where I could have cashed out completely or I could put a third back in. And then my business partner, um, Glenn DeGree, just did the exact same thing with a cybersecurity company. So it's flexible oftentimes. I will say this though, it's highly on I don't think I've ever seen it. When, let's just say it's Candace Pro AV. And they want you out the door the next day. So the ladies and gentlemen who just want to retire, unless they have a super strong management team in place, and how do you do that when you, when you I don't want to say only, when, you do, when you're doing 20 million, 25 million, how do you, you know, how do you have a CPA and an MBA and an attorney on staff? You don't. Right. So the owner oftentimes is required to stay. Not forever, could be one, two, three years until the financier gets up on their feet and everything is intact. That's also a, a huge variable, Candace, is having a strong management team. If it is, this also happened. I've made so many, I'm going to write a book on how many mistakes I made. I also, I was so young and naive in one of my companies that I thought, and this was a, a very sophisticated buyer of a very small company. So I just got crushed. I made every mistake you could make, thought I could do it myself, mistake, uh, told the guys that I, uh, I could run the whole company by myself, unbelievable mistake. I learned all these lessons, right? But if you're doing you know, 50 million or less and you are the CEO of the company that's selling, it's unlikely you get to walk. And if you do walk, the multiple is going to come way down because you're special if you built that. Let's face it. You were, first of all, if you are an entrepreneur, you're special. I mean, just you are. I, I, I have more admiration. Both my son-in-laws are professionals, you know, professional businessman, attorney. But I tell you what, the entrepreneurs, you know, I, I put right up there at the at the peak of the food chain. These are gutsy people. So you can't just walk away, Candace. And ninety-nine percent of the times, it's good options for people. You know, depending on what you're looking for, if you find the right partners. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you gave the timing because people are always wondering, you know, how, how long do I got to stay on for? And it, like you said, it could be one, two, three years, depending on yeah. the strength of the management team and, and everything else that, that's going on. Yep. I had, a, once again, I'm not going to mention names because that that's not what this is about, but I had a five year and they did allow me to escape at four years and I had a three year 
in, in two prior beers. And you know what? I enjoyed it. I really did. Rather than saying, and my ex-personal financier who passed away recently, he was a mentor of mine for 30 years. And when we had our first halfway decent deal, we had a big book of recurring revenue. Okay. And that's why we got a high multiple. And it was high margin recurring revenue. When my new boss came in and a new big company came in with all the lawyers and all the structure, it was very hard for me because I had been running everything the way I wanted to do it. And I was unhappy. And one day he told me he was a lot more sophisticated than I was on the board of a bank and medical companies and all this stuff. He said, hey, you cashed a check, right? Because I was complaining. I said, man, they won't let me do this and they won't let me do that. And I, I, want, I need to be out in the field talking to customers. They won't let me. He said, you cashed that check, right? And I said, well, yeah, I cashed the check. He said, well, poof. then you know what? They want you managing the base, the softball team, then manage the softball team because you cashed a check. So that's also a mental thing that these entrepreneurs oftentimes go through. I've had to go through it recently as I went from, you know, working 65 hours a week to, you know, semi-retirement. That's what you want to call this. It's funny because I was going to ask that because I, I, I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs that you're talking about, it's hard for them to, to hand over the keys to the kingdom well, and yeah. just, just kind of, you know, let someone else run, t- take hold of the ship. So other than just cash to check and and, and, let, and listen, what, what are some other pieces of advice for them to, to understand you know, the differences from going from day to day running the company to now having someone run the company for you? What advice would you have for those people? Well, the first thing is, it's very difficult to not take the best offer. However, the best offer might not always be the most money. It normally is, but not always. The chemistry has to be good. Let's just say between you and I. I mean, if you really disliked me or I disliked you, but yet we were, it's the fit has to be there. Or let's just say that the potential acquirer had no respect or did not appreciate the product lines that you had in the field because he wanted to use other product lines or a completely different strategy or wanted to move your company into this area when you're not in that. These type of things need to be evaluated very, very carefully. By the seller. You know, the seller doesn't have to sell, (laughs) right? He doesn't have to sell. It's his or her decision. And it's awfully, by by the way, it's often is his and her. It's often a a husband and wife team with the smaller companies in particular. So I think that that chemistry needs to be there. You need to be comfortable knowing, you know what, Patrick? You are no longer going to be whatever, CTO. You're no longer going to be VP of sales. You're no longer going to be the president. Or you're going to be the president for 12 months, Patrick, and you're going to train your replacement. You know, there are all these different variables. There's no cookie cutter. That's the way it is. This is why this communication should go on very, very, very seriously. And, and, and you know, you peel back that onion as many layers as you possibly can. You know, what's, what's my future? What do you want from me? What can I do to help? What can I do not to be in the way? What do you want from me? I cashed a check. <laughs> <laughs> What do you want from me? <laughs> See, there's a lot of you know education out there that people can find. Obviously, sessions at PSA Tech. Usually, we have some some M and A sessions. Are there other places that you would recommend people go to get it, this kind of information if they're trying to get started? Yeah, you know, Candice, understanding valuations are important. There's, you know, COVID messed up a lot of the the shows there, but I mean, there's the famous ones. There's Barnes Buchanan down at the Breakers in Florida. And of course, there's, 
Imperial Capital, you know, John Max event. That's very, very good. Matter of fact, you and I had a cocktail at Imperial Capital just a few months ago. So there are several, there are several like this. The alarm industry, which really, at least in the security business, wrote the original book on recurring revenue business model, which I was fortunate enough to luck out and, and be in the alarm business at that time. So yeah, no, there's and I also see, I mean, PSA, I think, is playing a, a crucial role in that and USAV as well, doing these type of things. But there's a host of good educators and consultants, many of whom attend the USAV and PSA events, as well as ISC, as well as, I, as the ISC events. ISC has some excellent education at PSA and USAV working. SIA is a really good spot for education. Very good spot. And they have their, they have several shows a year for the contractors that do government work. I mean, they've got several. There's, then, of course, they have securing new ground. And what's interesting is all those years I ran PSA, part of my job is to attend these functions in these meetings. It was good for PSA. And anytime I saw PSA members start to attend these meetings, <laughs> I'd come back to the office in Denver and say, oh, geez. Joe and Mary are selling their companies. What are you talking about, Bill? I said, they're attending all these meetings. Yeah. <laughs> they're making their connections. They're getting ready. And that, that has been a very, very accurate barometer, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I know that we've, we've joked about that internally before. Well, I guess to wrap up, where do people find you if they're looking for advice from Bill Bozeman? I'll be at ISC next week. I'll be at PSA Tech. Yeah. I'll be at Securing New Ground. I'll be at all those things. They're fun. They're still fun for me. They're still fun for me. But I, I still get to go kayaking tomorrow. <laughs> kayaking sounds fun. How about online? Where, where can they find you? Well, actually, PSA is working on that now. PSA is a really great... Now, now Candace told me, don't make any pitches, Bill. And here I am making... <laughs> can't help it. But yeah, we're working on... I didn't, it's funny because I wasn't sure I wanted a website simply because if the website was really, really good... I'd be back to working 65 hours a week. <laughs> so Candace is working on with me some that's something to be a little it, scalable, right, Candace? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Bill Bozeman will be available on LinkedIn here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be a LinkedIn thing, right? <laughs> Look, LinkedIn's powerful. I'll tell you that. It, it, there's there's a lot of good information on LinkedIn. So I, I'm excited to see that you're jumping into the, the LinkedIn community. Yes, well, I am. Yeah. Bill, it was always a pleasure. Your knowledge is is incredible. And Candice, I really hope that this can help a lot of people understand some of the process of, of selling. And then, um, you know, we appreciate you just being on here and, and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and really, Patrick, I really see USAV and PSA being because it's so trusted by the integrators that it's, you're part of these families that I'm happy to be doing this and stepping up. And I see you guys beautifully, you and Sia just beautifully positioned to offer unbiased. Now that's important. Yeah. Unbiased opinion. I'm really not trying to sell you guys anything. So you guys are doing a good job in, in, in my opinion. We appreciate it. We've had great leaders helping us pave the way. Well, as always, thank you, Bill. Thank you, you Candice. Thank you to our sponsors, Sure, for uh, sponsoring these awesome episodes and for StudioPod for producing it. Until next time, thank you all and enjoy your day.